There are words that we get used to in religious settings that we're so used to that sometimes they lose their meaning. So I think it's important for us to, re- to realize what the salvation that God brings, the saving that God does is. Think about what God is working in salvation. We often focus on uh, our sin and forgiveness, uh, the cleansing that's there, and we, we absolutely need that. But remember, that's not where it stops. The reality is that all the problems that we encounter, whether it's sickness or death, uh, sorrow, cruelty, um, all these things ultimately are rooted in the fact that we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice and that we need a Savior from sin. But we need saving not just from sin, but we need a saving from all the effects of sin. And that's why Jesus promises to those who trust Him not just forgiveness, but life, eternal life. He promises that God will reward them. He promises that there'll be new heaven and new earth, that they will be in his forever kingdom. Well, Elijah, that we studied last time we were together, and it's been several weeks, had a dramatic ministry of confrontation of idolatry and the wickedness that comes from it. In fact, when we think about Elijah, I mean, we just think about this powerhouse of a guy. His name means Yahweh, is my God. And it was like an in-your-face confrontation of what was so dominant in the northern tribes, and that was Baal worship. Many of his countrymen worshiped Baal. Baal was not Elijah's God. Yahweh was. And his life was really all about that conflict. But the reality is, as dramatic as Elijah's life was, Elijah didn't live forever. He left this earth, and we're going to read about it in 2 Kings 2. And the question is, what then? Whenever you have a, a, a really spectacular kind of leader, it's always a little bit hard for us to think about what it would be like after that person is gone. Who will take Elijah's place? Well, the person who takes Elijah's place, according to God's command, because God told Elijah to anoint Elisha to be his successor, is Elisha, and Elisha's name means, my God is salvation. And the reason I did the not just for kids as I did, because as you read through Elisha's life, what you find is just all kinds of situations, public and private, where God ends up supplying whatever the need is. And we're going to find it really practical for us. But let's first look at this crossover from Elijah to Elisha. Um, Elijah, it's been revealed to Elisha and to Elijah, he's going to leave the earth. Elisha says, I'm going to stick with you no matter what. And when they had crossed, that is the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. That's why I'm calling this lesson tonight, Elisha, double portion. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they, were, they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. A whirlwind's like a tornado, okay? It is a tornado. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. 
and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. So it's like he's taking now Elijah's ministry. And he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Elijah had just done this earlier. And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. And we know when Elijah did it earlier, they went over on dry ground. This miracle recalls the parting of the Jordan River. It was during flood season when Israel crossed into the promised land in the early days of the conquest under Joshua. Elijah had just done this very miracle earlier in the day, and God indeed gave Elisha a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. In fact, the Scriptures record, and it depends on how you count them up, but Scriptures record some seven miracles of Elijah and 14 of Elisha. In the history of God's people, not every season has many obvious miracles. God most often works in the unseen, in the natural rhythms um, and set patterns like the growth of a seed into a tree with its fruits, or alternating day and night, or the yearly transition of seasons, or the development of a child in the womb, and once born, its growth into manhood or womanhood. But some eras stand out as a time of miracles. During the days of Moses and Elijah, there, Moses and Joshua, there are a lot of miracles. In the days of Elijah and Elisha, lots of miracles. In the early apostolic decades, Christ and his apostles, there was a, they, there was a great time of miracles authenticating uh, the gospel. Generally, there are times of significant transitions and times of spiritual battles between God and idols. And in similar settings today, at times you hear of miracles in regions where the gospel is driving out witchcraft and the like. The prophecies talk of miracles yet to come in the days of the two witnesses and the 144,000 in the days of the Antichrist. Well, as we look over the life of Elisha, what I did was just, just make a list of all the things that the Scripture records in his life that were extraordinary. First, you have this miracle of parting the Jordan River. I mean, just think about how amazing that is. Try going down just to the Reedy River and smacking it with your jacket and see if it parts where you can cross over on dry land, okay? Um, and, and God did this at the Jordan as he had done before. We have healing of undrinkable water, we have these bears that attack 42 mocking boys. We're going to read about that one because that one's, that one's kind of unusual. We see victory over the rebel troops of the Moabites. God sends uh, water from who knows where out onto the land, and they think that it's blood and that armies have attacked one another, and they go to get the spoil, and they end up getting ambushed. He sends supply of the widow's oil and and through that, her livelihood. He gives a son to the Shunammite woman who hasn't had children yet. He resurrects the Shunammite woman's son when he dies. He purifies deadly stew. He feeds a hundred men with just the first fruits from one man's produce. He heals the leper Naaman, who's a Syrian. He's a Gentile. He's actually a, a, a member of an army that has been a, a problem for Israel 
And we're going to talk actually uh, next time about the servant girl that God used to bring Naaman and introduce Naaman to Yahweh. He, he recovered a, an axe head. Now, I don't know about your axe heads, but most axe heads don't float. This one did. He sends fiery protection from a siege of surrounding armies, uh, horses and chariots of fire for Elisha and his servant. He blinds those Syrian troops. We're going to read about that as well. There's a sudden end to another siege of, 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 of the city of Samaria. Remember the story of the lepers that go out and they find that the camp of the armies that were surrounding them has been abandoned. Why was it abandoned? They, they heard the sound of battle and they all fled because they thought they were, that, that uh, the Israel, Israel had hired uh, foreign troops to wipe them out. And so they all run and they leave everything. And so God supplies not just lifting of the siege, but provides all the food that the city needs when it seemed impossible the day before when Elisha pronounced that it was going to happen. There's restoration of uh, the Shunammite woman's land. And, and this is just a really interesting little thing where she's been gone for seven years in the land of Philistia because of the famine, because of the, the trouble that's, that's in Israel. And it just so happens when she comes back and she's really worried about having her land restored, it just so happens that Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, is there in front of the king telling him the story of this woman. And lo and behold, she shows up. So it's, it's one of those things where God brings the timing together perfectly. We see God work in anointing uh, Hazael, uh, the king of Syria, and anointing Jehu, king of Israel. Jehu ends up wiping out Ahab's family line in accord with the judgment that had been pronounced by God. But, but I want you to think about this. Um, a prophet anoints somebody who's not king, indicating that he's going to be king, and he becomes king. Now, you say, oh, we're, we're used to those Bible stories. Okay, let, let's talk. I've got some olive oil up here. How about if I anoint, I'll just pick out anybody at random, and I'm going to anoint you to be the next president of the United States, or when you grow up, to be the president. How, what's the chance that it's going to actually happen? Okay, And what you see is God setting up kings as well as taking them down. And then, finally, you have a miracle uh, that happens after Elisha is dead and buried. He, he dies uh, from an illness. He's buried, and, and there come these um, armies marauding through, and there's a guy that they're burying, and so they, they throw him in the same tomb as Elisha, and as soon as a, this man's body hits Elisha's bones, he's resurrected to life. Now, it's clear that Elisha didn't do that, right? The bones didn't do it. It was God actually using Elisha even after he's dead. And God, you know, God continues to use his servants after they're dead. There's many a person who's come to faith um, reading about somebody who's been dead long and gone. Their works follow them, their testimony follows them, and they, they come to know God through that person. Miracles from God, like those in the lifetime of Elisha, tell us about Elisha's God and the kinds of areas over which he exercises power. Whether it be through a miracle everyone can see 
or through the normal processes God has put in place. God has everything at his disposal. And it's important for us to remember that that's the kind of God we serve. He's the king of creation, and he is the Lord of history. Remember that as we head into all the, all the tumult of an election year, okay? And we'll talk about, about this more over this next year. Remember who actually rules what happens. And what God does should move us to seek him. As Paul preached to those in Athens in Acts 17, he sets the bounds of nations. He, he sets their times and their seasons, and he does it that we might seek after the Lord. But we want to take just a sampling of uh, three of these events in Elisha's life and then draw some conclusions. First, let's talk about the bear's attack on 42 mocking boys. We read that Elisha went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys, and I've got a little bit of a problem with the translation here. The, The term that's used is not just small boys. It actually, it actually probably, it could be anywhere in the range from 10 years old even into to young teens. Um, we're not talking about four and five-year-olds. And, and we know this, okay, these boys came out of the city. Four and five-year-olds don't travel in mobs. They, they don't accost people on the way, okay? So th- these are like little thugs, little young thugs that are showing great disrespect to someone they know is a man of God. They say, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Evidently, Elisha was bald. Be careful what you say to bald people, okay? And, and it's not totally clear what they're saying when they say go up. Maybe they heard about Elijah going up in the, the chariots of fire and say, you go up too, you know, give us a show. Or it's possible they're, they're saying more like, get out of here, you bald head. You know, go on up to the next city. But, but the point is, it's clear that they are jeering at him. They are mocking a man that they know is a servant of God and serves him. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. The 42 is only some of the gang that was there. Okay? And from there he went up to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. So think about, well, wait a minute now. This just doesn't seem very godly. Who sent the bears? God sent the bears. That's right. Elisha cursed them in the name of the Lord. God chose the way he was going to bring judgment. Do you think that God brings no judgment on people, say, under the age of 12? Do you think God judges sin even with children? Yes. Yes. Most of the time, you know who carries out the judgment? Mom and dad. That's where we're learning about sin and judgment. From about age, well, when we hit the terrible twos, we start learning about the terrible judgment, right? We start learning that when you do wrong, there's a price for that. And usually that's parents' job to take care of that. 
And, you know, it's kind of unfashionable today to take care of it, just like let the child be. But look, if you don't do your job as a parent and your kids have to deal with what happens when you live a lawless life, believe me, the judgment that falls will be worse than what you can dish out. And it's important for you to teach them about that. And it's clear right here that, that God doesn't take lightly those who mock truth and mock the people of God, whatever their age, whatever their age. Even children answer to God. And so, in this case, these bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of these boys. And so, I think it's important that we not think of God as some kind of cuddly, um, anything you do is fine with me kind of person. God is terrifying if he's coming after you. So, so don't mess with mocking him, disregarding him, because remember, he has everything at his disposal. I mean, who would think that you're going up, you know, a country road and and two bears are going to come out and start mauling people. It shows you that God has complete control of nature. Now, most of the examples that we have from Elisha's life are actually on the other side of the equation that show us God not only judges, but that God cares in very practical and and kind ways. And we see this in the supply of the widow's oil In 2 Kings 4, verse 1, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Okay, now, first off, we learned that serving the Lord doesn't mean you're never going to face crisis. Her husband had died. And with his death, they didn't have the means to supply their livelihood. And because of that, her children, her children were likely going to have to be slaves to try to pay it off. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And so God takes what she has. He said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. Now, what's really cool about this miracle is not just that it supplies just an ordinary kind of need, but that God did it in a, in an, he he didn't do it like making a fanfare. It's not like, Elisha says, okay, now go announce to the whole town that God's going to make this amazing, you know, this, this amazing, you know, spout of oil come up and, and, 
so that all the work, he says, go close the door behind you and do this. God was providing very specifically for her need and for her family, not in a way to make a big splash, but in a way to actually meet the need. And this is usually the way that God does things. He, he meets the needs quietly. He meets the needs. I mean, how many times do we run into a time of crisis and, and we don't know what to do? And then suddenly it's, it's like the crisis evaporates. Have you ever had that experience? And, and you're thinking back to the week before and you're going like, wow, you know, how did, how did this crisis get taken care of that way? Now, she was still a widow, okay? She, she still needed needs met. It wasn't like all the problems of life went away, but God met her in her need. And then we see God provide fiery protection for Elisha and his servant with horses and chariots of fire and angel army and, uh, and blinding the Syrian troops. And this one is especially instructive as well. Verse 15 of 2 Kings 6. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. Now, why was this army out there? Well, what had happened is Elisha kept telling the king of Israel what the Syrians were about to do. And, and, and the king of Syria is going, well, wait a minute, we've got a leak somewhere. Somebody's betraying us. And, and they tried to find out where the leak was. And finally, they figured out it wasn't that they had a leak. It's that Elisha knew from God whatever they're going to do. And so the king of Syria says, okay, let's take care of Elisha. And that's what they were trying to do. Well, all these horses and chariots all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. By the way, that's always the case. Think about the myriads upon myriads of angelic beings that are sent to minister to those that are the heirs of salvation. It is always the case that you're on the winning side, no matter what the odds might seem. He said, do not be afraid. There's more with us than with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accord with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, the capital of Israel. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Imagine, they think they're going to destroy Elisha by surrounding him, and suddenly they're in the enemy's city, surrounded by the enemy. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again 
on raids into the land of Israel. There's more than one way to solve the problem of an army that's, that's always causing trouble. Not always destroying them. Sometimes it's blinding them, letting them know how powerful God is, feeding them, sending them on their way. You really get a sense of just the, the full range of what God can do in this one miracle. Now, as I looked over all the different things that God did through Elisha, there are nine things that I saw at least, and I'm sure you could add more, about God. First, God exercises control over nature. Whether it's splitting a river wide open so you can cross over on dry land or, or causing, um, causing oil to flow, uh, all kinds of things that are natural that God holds control over. God judges rebellious mockers. God judges greedy deceit. We're going to see in the story of Naaman that Gehazi, Elisha's servant, decides to try to manipulate Naaman into paying him off. And he lies to him, and God strikes him with leprosy. God exercises power over the nations and their armies, like we've just read about. God sets up kings and takes them down just as Elisha would anoint certain men to be king and, and, and proclaim that others would be judged. God cures disease, even incurable diseases. God raises the dead. And God cares for people in their needs. And God protects his servants. This is the God that we serve. And as you look at these things, God is still doing these things. The miracles will, will show this sometimes in a dramatic kind of way, but even if God's not using a miracle to do it, the fact that he's in control means that, that he does this in whatever way he chooses. Elisha's career was less about Elisha than it was about God. He is the one with the wisdom and the power from one generation to another. We might well say with Elisha, where is the God of Elijah? Or where is the God of Elisha? Well, he's still here, and he's still ruling all things according to his perfect plan. He is the Savior God. Just as Elisha's name proclaims, my God is salvation. We don't deserve it. We can't sustain it. We can't win many of the victories that need to be won, but God intervenes to save his people and do things that he alone can do. Let's pray. God, thank you for the account of this extraordinary servant of you. And it's remarkable to us, Lord, that with all you did in his life, he still, in some ways, seems almost like a minor character because so much of his life is not about him but about you. We pray, God, that as we live our lives, that our lives would be about you as well. When people hear our name, may they think about the God who is a saving God, who heals and provides and protects and cleanses and, and does all the things that need to be done for the sake of his people. 
For it's in Christ's name we pray.